Thank you for listening to Sermon Audio from Hill City Church in Springfield, Missouri. We are a community of believers who exist to glorify God by making disciples who bring gospel restoration to our city and world. For more information about Hill City or to support our ministry, you can find us online at hillcitysgf.org. Love. Get out your Bibles. Got my brother from another mother that's going to read to you a phenomenal love story. And I'm pumped about this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture. Please withhold your amens until he's done reading the passage. Unless you just don't want to and then shout them out. Matthew chapter 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. And Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David the king, and David, the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam, the father of Abijah, and Abijah, the father of Asaph, and Asaph, the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat, the father of Joram, and Joram, the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah, the father of Jotham, and Jotham, the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh, the father of Amos, and Amos, the father of Josiah. And Josiah, the father of Jeconiah and his brothers, at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah, the father of Shealtiel, and Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel, and Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan and Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ. So all the, generation, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. And this is the word of the Lord. How about Calvin? And for those of you, Calvin's one of our residents, and if those of you are signing up for residencies, you will have your turn at reading a genealogy in front of 250 people. Still want to do it? So hope, peace, joy, now we are on love. And Calvin did indeed just read you a love story. I I want to pull four stories from this lineage And I'm actually going to pour, pull four stories of the four women who were mentioned in this lineage. If you didn't catch that, there were four women mentioned. Well, there's a cultural significance here. And just before I even go any further, this is not a sermon on womanhood. This is not a sermon for just women. I could have pulled countless stories from this lineage. But I wanted to pull and highlight the four women and this lineage. Now, before we do that, there's a, there is a cultural significance to this because when you read this, you have to understand that this was an honor-shame 
culture of the time, and your family heritage was everything to you. It shaped your social prestige. It shaped your respectability. It actually shaped your destiny way more than it could, we could imagine in a Western United States of America 2019. And the beauty of reading this lineage, we see that Jesus and God through his word reorients us to a new way of thinking, specifically about honor, about sharing in God's honor as his son, and we get to identify with those without honor, specifically in this lineage, women who were without honor way more than you could imagine. So let me start with the first one we see in verse 3, Tamar. We can't dive into all their stories in depth, but we can hit some highlights. You read about Tamar in Genesis chapter 38, so if you're taking notes, you can go read her story. But you have Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob, and Jacob has 12 sons, and one of, his, one of those 12 sons was Judah. We just sang about a lion from the tribe of Judah. Well, Judah had a son. See, and Judah wasn't a very good guy. We read about Judah and his story specifically right in the middle of kind of all of the Joseph saga as, as he is one of the brothers there. But Judah had a son, and his son married Tamar, this, this first woman we speak of. Now, Judah's son was wicked because the apple did not fall very far from the tree, and he died because he was wicked. Well, we don't have time to go into this, but kind of how it worked, I'll talk about this in a minute, is the younger brother takes over, steps in, and marries Tamar. His name was Onan. And he became responsible for Tamar, but he sabotaged his responsibility. And he was wicked because the apple did not fall very far from the tree. So then Judah, being the jerk that he was, promised the third son, his third son to Tamar. But the thing about this is his third son was so young, he never intended to honor that commitment so that Tamar would be cared for. And when you were a widow in this day, that is the way that you were cared for, as the next in line in the family would see to it that you were cared for. Well, Tamar realized that Judah never intended to keep his promise. And as this older, or as this younger son became older, she realized, wait a minute, this, he's supposed to be with me, and now he's not. Meanwhile, Judah, who had a wife, became a widow himself. See, his wife died. So then you have Tamar, who then takes matters into her own hands. And she realizes that Judah was never going to intend to keep his promise. So here's what she does. She poses as a prostitute. She poses as a prostitute. And Judah bites See, she posed as a prostitute to her father-in-law. Her father-in-law then sleeps with her, and she gets pregnant. So she deceives him, and she's going to have a baby. Love story? Yeah, let's go to woman number two, Rahab. We may be a little bit more familiar with Rahab. We read of her in Joshua chapter 2, where, where Joshua is going to send spies into the land to do some recon on Jericho. He says, go view the land, and especially Jericho. 
And they went, these spies, they went and they came into the house of a prostitute. So now we have Rahab. She didn't pose as a prostitute. She was a prostitute. And they went to the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they lodged there. So Rahab did indeed hide these two spies. And when the people of Jericho, the men of Jericho came to find him, they did not find him. Then she let the men out of her window through this scarlet cord. That's a whole sermon in and of itself. And she told them, when you come back, this cord's going to be in my window. See to it that you do not destroy me or my family when you come back to destroy Jericho. And she did, and the spies and Joshua then honored their commitment to Rahab. Then Rahab just so happens to marry a man from the tribe of Judah, whose name was Salmon. And they had a son. Now let's rewind because Salmon had a great, 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 great grandmother, and that great, 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 great grandmother's name was Tamar. A love story? So now we can jump to the next woman, who this is a little bit more of a heartwarming love story, in my humble opinion. This is Ruth, where you can read about Ruth in the book of? Good work. Actually, start with a lovely lady named Naomi. She was an Israelite, and she had a husband and she had two sons, and they actually had to leave Israel to go to Moab because of a, a famine. So her family was there, and while they were there, her two sons found Moabite women, and they married these women. Also, while they were there, Naomi's husband died, and then those two sons of Naomi's died. So now you had Naomi and two Moabite daughters-in-law. And Naomi was heartbroken as she lost those that she loved the most, and she said to them that she was just going to go back to her homeland. Well, one of the daughters-in-law says, and this is uh, Ruth, who we speak of, she was a very loyal woman, and she says to her mother-in-law, no, no, I'm going to go with you. And this is where we uh, have had the famous line out of Ruth where she says, your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And she stays by Naomi and returns back to Israel with Naomi. So now you have Ruth, who was an unmarried widow, an unmarried foreign widow. That didn't go well for you in this culture. But she went anyway with Naomi. So here they are back in the homeland. They're trying to figure out how to survive, how to eat. And Ruth actually goes out to a field to get some food. And there she runs into a strapping, strappingly handsome young man named Boaz. The Bible says this about Boaz, that he was a man of noble Character. Now let me pause you right there. Let's stop and let's back up. Rahab, remember her? She married a man from the tribe of Judah named Salmon. And they had a son. And their son's name was Boaz. Back to the story. Boaz, he was actually the family redeemer. If you grew up in church, you may have heard him called or alluded to as the kinsman redeemer. See, a family redeemer, this was a cultural practice. 
If you go back to the story of Judah and his sons and Tamar, where the, where the, the next in line uh, son took over for the widow and cared for her. This was to protect the widow and to ultimately protect the family. And here we have Boaz, who was this family redeemer. So Naomi, Naomi and Ruth, they come up with a, a plan, actually, to try to uh, make sure that they are cared for. And here's kind of how it goes. And I, I challenge you to read the story. I'm leaving out many, many details. But basically what happens is Ruth takes off her widow's clothes and puts on her going out clothes. She makes herself look good. She does her makeup, puts some, puts some, uh, does her hair, puts, puts her like dancing dress on, right? Now, not literally, but you get my point. And she goes to where Boaz was. So she looks good. She smells good. And she actually didn't just go to Boaz. She went to Boaz after he had a few drinks. I don't know exactly, and neither do you, what went down on that threshing floor that night. I have my beliefs. You can choose to defer. I've studied this, and I'm pretty sure I know what happened that night. I'll leave that to your imagination. But Boaz was a man of noble character. That's what the Bible said about him. So what does he do? He does indeed become the family redeemer, and he marries Ruth, and they had a baby boy named Obed. Is that a love story? So if Ruth's love story leaves you with a full heart, as it does mine, I enjoyed it, then our next and final woman will actually not leave you with a full heart as much as it will with a churning gut. So in the lineage of Jesus, this woman was referred to as Uriah's wife. And we know this to be Bathsheba. You can read her story in the book of 2 Samuel. Bathsheba's story is this, that a king sees her bathing while her husband is actually off to war performing his duty. And this noble man of war wasn't just off performing his duty. He was actually tight with this king. And the king was overcome by Bathsheba's beauty and impulse. And he calls for her. And they sleep together. Now before we look at Bathsheba and go, how could she? Well, she was bathing on the roof and all this and all that. Listen, it was cultural. And I want you to understand what really went down here. Is you don't have this woman who, who, who was pursuing this guy and showing herself to him. What you have here is just a woman who was doing what women did and how they did it, and you had a man of power who actually, if this happened today, would be categorized as sexual abuse because you took a, per, a man who had a position of power, and in this day and age, when a king said, come to my house and do this, you went to his house and you did that. That's Bathsheba. So she sleeps with him and she gets pregnant. I just wonder if you can imagine the fear and the confusion and the shame that maybe overcame Bathsheba. 
And this king devises this plan, and he pulls her husband off of the battlefield and says, oh, here's what I'll do. I'll just have him come off the battlefield. He'll indeed sleep with his wife. He's been gone for a while. Then everyone will just think this is his baby and not my baby. But see, this guy was a noble guy himself. He came off the battlefield and said, no, I will not sleep with my wife. I have men on the battlefield. It would not be right for me to do this. So he doesn't do it. So then the king comes up with another plan. What am I supposed to do? I got an idea. I'm going to put him back on the battlefield, except for this time I'm going to put him on the front lines where he will indeed be killed. So now you have a king who's not just an adulterer, but is now a murderer. Bathsheba was pregnant. She has a baby. And I don't know exactly how long that baby lived, but I do know this, that baby soon died after it was born. So now you have this woman who lost her husband and now has lost a baby. Without question, there wasn't a day in the rest of Bathsheba's life she did not think about that. Grief would have been a mark of her life. Now we know this king was King David. He was called out by the prophet. And David repents. And he actually remains with Bathsheba. And they go on to have other babies. And one of them sons, one of their sons that they had was named Solomon. How is that for a love story? Is it a love story? My answer to you is, of course, it's a love story. But I'm not talking about love stories. I'm talking about all four of these together are a love story. The whole lineage out of the book of Matthew that we read this morning is a love story. And just pulling these women out of this love story is a great reminder to us that Jesus came into this world to save all kinds of people. He came into this world to save men. He came into this world to save women. He came into this world to save pagans, to save Jews, to save prostitutes, to save immigrants, to save queen mothers. And as we read this lineage, we can't just look over it as just a group of names. We have to see that there is a great love story indeed in this lineage. God in his great love saw beyond all of these people's brokenness. And I want you to understand this morning a huge part of God's love, a very huge part of God's love is that he will meet you right where you are regardless of your past. But it doesn't just stop there. Another part of God's love is that it will take you places that you never thought you could go or that you could never get on your own. In other words, God's love doesn't just save, it also mobilizes. But he must redeem your story for it to be mobilized. It's one thing to come in here this morning, church, and this is a beautiful thing. It's one thing to come in here forgiven, and that's a big deal, but it is another thing to come in here redeemed, where God takes your story. He doesn't just forgive you. 
He redeems you. What do I mean by that word? The, the Webster's definition is, the, is to redeem is to gain or regain possession of in exchange for a payment. If you go to a more biblical definition, to redeem is to purchase back, to ransom, to liberate, or to rescue from captivity or bondage or from any obligation or liability to suffer or to be forfeited. And I want you to hear in these love, this love story that we read this morning, the story of our own lives can be taken by the creator of the universe and be made beautiful. So let me ask you, what, what does your past look like? What does your present look like? What about your family? It's Christmas. We're all going to be around them, right? What does your family look like? What's your story? See, just this morning we looked at these four ladies. God took these four ladies and he wove his story through these ladies and then his story through these ladies takes us to Jesus. Are we looking to God to do this with us and our stories? Number one, are we looking to God to take our stories to lead us to Jesus? Then are we looking to God to take our stories then to lead others to Jesus. First John 1 John 1.3 says this. And as we look, we, we just looked at lineage. We looked at a family line. I hope your mind is now thinking, okay, family line, what, what, my story, my past. What can God do with me? But look, at 1 John 1, 3, before you get too far down, down, down your road of thought here, look what it says. See what kind of love, I'll read that again. See what kind of love, that's our theme of the day. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. Hill City Church, the family that Jesus came from was just a forerunner of the family that he came for. And that's you and that's me. We didn't even get into the jacked up guys in this lineage and the things they did. Liars cheaters, prostitutes, murderers, thieves. I mean, I could, all day. You just keep going all day. That's the lineage. That's the family that Jesus came from. And it's the family that he came for. Will you let him, will you let him weave your story into his love story. It is absolutely a love story. 